Um, today's Bible readings from Matthew chapter 6, which is on page 684. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is God's word. It was a fabulous weekend at uh, Getaway last weekend, wasn't it, at uh, Camp Elam for uh, uh, the uh, 80, 90 or so of us who were there for that weekend. Uh, you know, on the organising committee, we're, a couple of weeks before um, Getaway, we're always anxious about how it's going to go and then just God, God just blows all our expectations and it turns out fantastic. Uh, I've um, already started listening again to the... Uh, the sessions on the uh, on the internet, so I encourage you to do the same. Uh, they've all been uploaded to the church um, website, and uh, so four great uh, talks uh, by Murray Smith. Uh, the one I've listened to so far, though, is the the Q and A session, and that's really interesting. So I just want to encourage you to uh, uh, to have a second listen to those talks if you were there, and uh, listen for the first time if you weren't there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us your word. And now, by your spirit, take your word and uh, impress it upon our hearts that we would be men and women, boys and girls, who uh, love you and serve you and honour you and you alone. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A man and his daughter going about their daily business in the English city of Salisbury when suddenly their bodies 
they start uh, convulsing, stiffening up, um, frothing at the mouth uh, because they are suffering the effect of nerve agent. Uh, the attack on Sergi Skirpal and his uh, daughter, uh, Yulia, this week really has been a chilling reminder of the very dark world of international espionage. For many years, uh, Sergi Skirpal appeared to be the model Russian citizen. Uh, joining the army as a young man, rising to the rank of colonel, and then working for the Russian Foreign Ministry, he looked like the true Russian patriot, uh, the kind of man who should be honoured for serving his country, at least honoured by the Russians. Yet, uh, since 1995, he'd been an actor in a play. Uh, recruited by British intelligence as a double agent, he'd been passing on state secrets to MI6, uh, through uh, uh, digital messages that he would place under a fake rock in a park in Moscow. Uh, secrets including the identities of Russian spies working in the West. Uh, he was, of course, caught and put on trial and imprisoned in Russia, but released and relocated to Britain in 2010 as part of a spy exchange deal. And I understand it was uh, two planes on a tarmac in uh, Vienna, uh, spies from one nation on one plane, from another nation on the other, they kind of swapped and, and uh, flew off into the wild blue yonder, an exchange deal. Espionage is a murky world, and it's a far cry from the glamour of 007. Now, we may like the fact that Sergi Skirpal uh, actually spied for Britain, but the point that I'm wanting to make in this introduction is that uh, for all those years, uh, since 1995 to the time that he was arrested, he had been, uh, he had, he'd been wearing a mask, uh, pretending to love and serve his country when actually he was serving himself. Uh, the Brits paid him $100,000 for uh, giving them secrets. We have a name for a person who wants to appear to be more loyal and more committed than others, but in fact turns out to be the opposite. Uh, we call such a person a, a hypocrite, don't we? Um, the word hypocrite's an interesting word. It comes from a Greek word which means someone who is an actor in a play. And uh, in Greek theatre, actors wore masks. That's why the same actor could uh, play various roles in the same play. And over time, the word hypocrite came to refer not just to an actor on a stage, but to any person who pretends to be something which they are not. And it's a word which Jesus uses three times in our passage today. Because in Matthew 6, uh, verses 1 to 18, uh, Jesus warns us of the serious danger of being play actors, uh, of um, being hypocrites uh, in the Christian life, uh, being double agents, as it were, pretending that we're serving God when in fact we're serving ourselves, even serving another God. Uh, we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 6. Let me read that for you, where Jesus says, Be careful 
not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, acts of righteousness, these are good things, but for what purpose? Is it to be seen by men? Uh, Jesus identifies in this passage three areas of um, righteous living where we may be tempted to be people who are wearing a mask, to be play actors. I'm going to go through those three areas. First of all, in verses 2 through to 4, he speaks about giving money to the poor. Now, that's a good thing, isn't it? Uh, The problem is not what is done, the problem is why it is done. Jesus says here that when the hypocrites give, what do they do? Well, they announce it with trumpets. Uh, you've heard the phrase, blowing your own trumpet, haven't you? I think that's where this, that comes, this comes from, actually, blowing your own trumpet. And in fact, in Jesus' day, it may not have been um, only metaphorical. It could have actually been literal because uh, I understand that uh, it was a common practice in the temple in Jerusalem that when there was a particular need giving to the poor that uh, they would actually blast blast trumpets trumpets would sound and that would be the signal that there was there was a need to give and you can imagine the temptation there can't you that the the trumpets are sounding and you know that if people see you heading to the temple at that point what are you heading there for you're heading there in order to give Uh, you want to uh, you're, you're going to be giving money to the poor And so you could be, in a sense, blowing your own trumpet. You want people to know that you're making your contribution. But trumpets or no trumpets, the issue is who are you serving? Are you serving God or are you serving yourself? Now, of course, we would never be guilty of blowing our own trumpets in church, would we? Well, yes, we could. (laughs) Yes, we could. Uh, Christian churches, even at leadership level, um, exploit the, this desire for pe- that people have to be recognised for their generosity uh, in order to raise funds. Uh, you will get a framed certificate if you donate money uh, or um, you'll get a plaque on a piece of furniture that'll have your name, which tells everyone that it doesn't actually say that you paid for the pew. But that's the, that's the signal, isn't it, uh, that you actually pay, donated by and your name is emblazoned forever. Well, until the pews are taken out. Uh, I went to a church once, uh, I kid you not, that rewards their top ten givers for the month. How would they know who the top ten givers are? I think it's because the credit card swiping thing that they use for the offertories. And the reward is that you get to eat dinner with the pastor. I mean, I'd have to pay you guys, wouldn't I? (laughs) Some reward that is. There's a Christian uh, satire um, webpage called Babylon B. If you're not signed up for that on Facebook, you need to, where they produce articles, uh, uh, fictitious articles, about um, uh, that relate to the Christian life, and one article recently uh, was uh, giving a news item about a uh, the Christian church that's um, now started issuing reward cards, so that every time you swipe your visa, you also swipe your reward card, and you you, you get more re- you get reward points, 
and the more reward points you earn, you can use to spend on church merchandise, and CDs of the pastor's talks and so on. Right? Now, I tell you the truth, says Jesus, in verse 2, they have received their reward in full. And the word which Jesus, is, Jesus uses here for reward, it's actually derived from a commercial word uh, to describe the completion of a business transaction. In other words, uh, the invoice has been paid, signed, stamped, whatever. It's complete. The business transaction is done. And they should lap up the applause because all, that's all that they're going to get. God owes them nothing. Now, notice that Jesus says that when we give to the needy, that we shouldn't let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. What does he mean by that? Well, I take it that he's saying, don't even dwell on the matter yourself. Uh, you see, we may be smart enough uh, to not tell others about our giving because we, we know that that'll be, that'll be frowned upon because people have read Matthew 6. But we might still be puffed up in, in pride ourselves. And if that's the case, then who are we serving? The godly person gives because there is a need. And then once they've given, they just get on with life. Now, the second example is about prayer. Uh, in verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Now, in Jesus' day, godly Jews would pray at certain times of the day, a bit like what Muslims do these days. For example, the Shema, which is the prayer, you know, the prayer which starts with those words from Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is uh, one, love the Lord with all your heart, soul and mind. Well, that would be prayed every morning and every evening. And then... There, there was another prayer which be, would be prayed three times during the, at other times during the day at 9am, at 12 noon and at 3pm. And so no matter where you were, uh, you would stop and you would pray, um, which is why you could end up on a street corner um, praying out aloud. But what would the hypocrite do? You can see again the temptation. You could actually schedule your day. So you just happen to be in the busiest street in town at 3pm or at 12 noon or at 9am where there was the maximum audience of people who would see that you are praying. That's what the hypocrite could do. Now, we may not be tempted to do that. I'm not personally tempted to go down to the corner of Horton Street and Clarence Street at lunchtime and stand on the corner and start praying out aloud. I don't think that's actually going to accrue much uh, credit to myself in the eyes of men. People think you're a nutter if you do that. But we can impress people when we pray in church, up front, uh, in the service, or in our growth groups. Uh, we can impress people by the, the eloquence of our words and the the spiritual tone of our voice. You know, we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the 
Holy Spirit. Um, well, we may tell someone that uh, you know we've been praying for them, not to encourage them, as Paul does in his letters when he writes to churches and say, "I have been praying for you guys. This is what I've been praying for you about." I pray. He does that to encourage people, but we might actually tell someone that we're praying for them uh, in order to impress them. Uh, what would Jesus say? Reward received in full. That's it. Now, there is another temptation in this passage in regards to prayer, and we see it in verse 7. In verse 7, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now, babbling like pagans. Um, I think of Elijah on Mount Carmel, remember, with the prophets of Baal? Um, and it was, you know, to see whose God would uh, actually set the altar on fire. And the, the prophets of Baal, they, uh, they went first, they built their altar and they prayed and they sung and they chanted and they danced and they slashed themselves and over in order to attract the attention of their God, vainly so. Elijah just had to pray once and the altar was ignited. In Jesus' day, uh, pagans would pray to all of their various gods uh, by the names of their various gods with every prayer to each of their gods uh, in order to in increase their chances of getting an answer. Well, Jesus says don't be like that. Our prayers are not to be mechanical, as, if, as if, we, if we use the right formula, if we use the right prayer strategy, if we use the right, then somehow we can twist God's arm, that he'll somehow listen to us if we've got a prayer chain operating 24 hours a day. Uh, prayer is relational. Prayer is, is talking to our Heavenly Father from the heart and with thoughtfulness. That's why in verse, verses 9 through to 13, Jesus teaches us the things which we should be praying in what's called the Lord's Prayer, but maybe should be called the Disciples' Prayer because it's a prayer that Jesus taught for his disciples to pray. But let's have a look at that in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be not our name but your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And you can see the issue of hypocrisy here, that if you ask God to forgive you, but you're bearing a grudge against someone else, well, that's being hypocritical. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, what we notice here is that this prayer is not meaningless babble. And as an aside, you'd have to think that what some people think is speaking in tongues is meaningless babble. I don't think what is commonly referred to as speaking in tongues is what the Bible means by speaking in tongues, but that's a big topic. Uh, this is not meaningless babble. It is thoughtful and it is filled with content and the content here reflects the, um, it, it reflects the covenant that God has with us. Uh, 
and it, 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 it flows from the covenant that uh, God has made. For in it, we seek not our honour, but the honour of God. Uh, we seek the coming of his kingdom. Uh, we seek our daily sustenance. We ask for forgiveness and we ask for our holiness as, we, as we're not led into temptation. These are covenant content prayers that we bring to God. And now the irony, of course, is that the very prayer that's been given to us so that we will not babble in prayer has probably become one of the world's most babbled prayers. As, uh, as it, it's so easy for us to think that the form is more important uh, than the content and as we recite the Lord's Prayer in church, which is it's a good thing to do, uh, but we can switch off our brains and just be going through the words. Right? Uh, nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer, uh, but we need to make sure that when we do so that we're actually thinking carefully about what we're praying and meaning it as well. The other thing, of course, is that you can pray the Lord's Prayer without using that particular form, but you, we pray the content, we pray the things that Jesus says we should be praying for. I remember once in church, uh, uh, I led the prayer time, and I intentionally prayed through all of the issues that Jesus raises in the Lord's Prayer. And afterwards, a dear brother or sister came up to me and said, Scott, we didn't pray the Lord's Prayer this Sunday. And I had the opportunity to explain, well, actually we did. Um, and it's about the content more than the form. Now, thirdly, in verses 16 to 18, Jesus raises the topic of fasting. Let's uh, have a look at that, verse 16. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Now, fasting's a big topic, but uh, in summary, the, in the Bible, godly people often gave up eating uh, at times when they were repenting uh, in order to create more time in their day for praying. In an agrarian society, actually just putting food on the table, it's a much bigger effort. Um, than it is for us today. So you create the space in your day for prayer by going without food. What would we have to do to create space in our day? What activities would we give up in order to spend more time praying at special times when we need to repent? Perhaps um, uh, a little bit less use of Netflix, maybe? <laughs> what do you reckon, eh? Now, the Pharisees, though, of course, they had it all down pat in terms of specific times for fasting, uh, irrespective of whether they were repenting. The Pharisees fasted on the second day of the week and on the fifth day of the week. Uh, they claimed that, that it was because it was those days that Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. But they also happened to be the market days when the towns were full of merchants, farmers and customers. Uh, filled with people when the audience was big. 
So the, the play actor would deliberately make himself look dreadful. Uh, make himself look at, I think the original there is, is like death. Uh, so that um, people would look at him and think, aha, he must be fasting. She must be fasting. So Jesus says, well, I've got a better idea. How about this? How about instead of disfiguring yourself to make yourself look dreadful, um, how about you spruce yourself up? You know, a bit of oil on the, on the face and have a good wash and wear your best clothes and put a smile on your face and guess what? If you do that, nobody will know that you're fasting. <laughs> Won't that be good? Because it'll just be between you and God. But that doesn't serve the purpose of the hypocrite. Now, Jesus has picked three issues which for godly Jews were important matters of righteousness. So giving... Um, praying and fasting and with each of these issues Jesus speaks about two things he speaks about secrecy and rewards so have a look at uh, verse 4 second part of verse 4 he says then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you that's about giving to the needy or about prayer in verse 6 uh, then your last part, part of verse 6 then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you uh, and then about fasting in verse 18 uh, last part of verse, verse 18 uh, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you do you see your pa the pattern there um, th on all three of these things uh, secrecy and reward now I I once was leading a Bible study group. It was for elderly ladies, actually, and uh, they met in my lounge room. And we had a new lady that uh, joined our Bible study group. Her name was Grace. She was a lovely, dear Christian woman with a few funny ideas. But hey, um, doesn't God call funny people into his church, eh? And uh, Grace, uh, we had, um, had our Bible study, and then I was explaining to Grace what would happen next. And I said, Grace, what happens now is we spend some time sharing with one another and then we, we pray with one another out aloud. But you don't have to pray out aloud, just pray with us. Grace says to me, look, you can do whatever you want. As for me, I'm going to obey the Lord Jesus. I'm going to go home now, go to my room, close the door, and I'm going to pray in secret. <laughs> she was a lovely lady. Um, I don't think Jesus is against group prayer here because the early church would gather together and they'd pray with one another. But um, the question with all of these issues is who are you praying to? Uh, who do you want to be seen by? And what reward are you seeking? Because if our desire is to be seen by men, then our righteousness is just a PR exercise. That's all it is. You know, we might as well lap up as much approval and applause as we can possibly get because that's all we're getting. It's the only thing coming our way. Reward received in full. But what about the reward we receive from God? Uh, three times Jesus says that if our acts of righteousness are sincere, 
then God will reward us. So the question I want to ask myself is, well, what are these rewards? Um, are they kind of special blessings from God for special people? What are the rewards? One of, someone told me that uh, rich Christians uh, lavishing luxuries on themselves were right in doing so because he said they were being rewarded by God for all of their efforts. To which I thought, well, what does God think about poor Christians? <laughs> now, the rewards are actually the outcomes of the gospel. Uh, and Jesus has already spelt out for us um, some of the rewards in the Beatitudes. Can you flick back to Matthew 5 for a moment? Let's just run our eyes quickly down through the Beatitudes. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. How about that? Forget about having lunch with the pastor. You get to see God. And these are these rewards, they align with the great vision that John had uh, and shared with us in Revelation chapter 21. Remember that? When John saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down and he heard a voice from the throne declaring that now the dwelling of God is with men and that God would wipe away all of our tears, that there will be no more uh, death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, that we will be uh, rejoicing in the presence of God forever, free of sin. That's the vision. That's the reward. And we do not do our acts of righteousness in order to achieve that status. We do so out of gratitude to God that Jesus has secured that future for us by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. But I want to say that there is more to it, actually. Um, I don't know if you ever think about this, but <clears throat> there are some relationships in life where our great delight is to see somebody else honoured even when we've played a part in getting them to that point where they are honoured and for what they're honoured for. So think, for example, of parents. Uh, when, uh, when their child is the one who's standing up on the podium, having the <clears throat> medal put around their neck or the trophy handed to them, and the parent, because of their love for their child, is just so filled with joy that their child is being honoured and they're not thinking and they're not going around telling other people, hey, did I tell you about the part that I played in that? <laughs> how I set up the really good stable home life, how I sacrificed all of those taking the kid to practice. No, no, they're just full of joy knowing that the one they love is being honoured. Now, I don't want to push that illustration too far because it obviously breaks down. But our great desire... It's not that we should be honoured, but that God should be honoured. Which means that in all that we do, 
we seek uh, to, to praise him, to honour, to glorify him and that others would know of how great our God is. For God is our reward. To be known by him, to be loved by him and to enjoy his presence forever and to see him being honoured and praised. That is reward in itself. And so let's take off the mask, shall we? (laughs) Why wear a mask and settle for the applause of men? Why do we do that? For some people it's because they're religious but they're not Christian. Um, For many of us, it's because we really haven't wrestled with the issue of our significance in Christ. Uh, we, we still think that our significance rests on what other people think of us. When the gospel tells us that we are of great significance, that the God of the universe has bestowed his love upon us at the expense of his own son. One of the psalmists in Psalm 63 wrote these words, and I'm going to finish on this. He says to God, O God, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. Because your love is better than life, I will glorify you with my lips. I will praise you for as long as I live. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. To not just know God, but to be known by him forever. That is our reward. Let's pray. Gracious God, uh, we cannot praise you enough for how good you are and for all that you've done for us especially in Christ Jesus. Help us to understand the significance that we, we have in our relationship with you. And Father God, we pray that you would purify us of the impurities in our lives which seek the praise and the applause of men. Help us to be people who are pure of heart, who seek only your honour and your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.